Hey friend, and welcome back to On Your Terms. Well, maybe not welcome back for you. I mean, welcome back if you normally listen to the show and now you're listening again. If so, thank you. Otherwise, welcome back to me, I guess, because you didn't go anywhere. I, however, have been off of work since May 2nd, um, and I am still not back really full force, um, or at least my version of full force. Although my friend the other day said to me, like, your 25% is everybody else's 100. And I was like, okay, I take that. I accept that. But I'm not fully back uh, for the reasons that we'll talk about today. But honestly, since I've been off, there have been a couple of like big things in my business that I've missed the most. I love my business and I love being an online business working, being an entrepreneur. Like I I just love what we do. I naturally love what we do. Maybe you guys can tell that sometimes, but the biggest thing I really missed was the podcast and just chatting with you cuz like I always tell my friends that I feel like I've not gotten as much and as engaged of a response as I have to had to this podcast so far and and like a little less than a year. Can you believe it? This is episode 47. We've only had 47 episodes so far, and I have really loved it. So I'm just really um, grateful today to be back here chatting with you. I did want to give you a little bit of like a heads up trigger warning situation. I'm going to talk today about losing my dad to cancer. I'm going to talk about cancer. I'm going to talk about grief. I'm going to spare you from the goriest details for both my dad's sake, but also you know, for your sake, just because I went through it doesn't mean you have to go through it. I am just sharing my experience today. But if for any reason, of course, you don't want to hear about those things or it's too much for you, um, it's totally okay. This might not be an episode for you. But I actually talk about three different things in this episode. So I share a little bit about what happened, um, just to kind of catch up with you, a little life update. I give you a set of tips of things that I have in place, had in place, that led to a very seamless um, month off, right? Um, So that you can put them in place in your own business. And then at the end, I'm going to talk with you about the push rest phenomenon, something I have spent a lot of time thinking about. So if you need to go, it's totally okay. If you just want to skip this first part um, where I catch up with you, that's okay too, because I think there's a lot more in the episode that could be really helpful. So Before I get into it, let's read our On Your Terms review of the week. It's from Jenna RD, and she said, I've been listening to Sam for a while now and have enjoyed every single one of her podcast episodes. I love the natural down-to-earth way she presents information, and I really appreciate her consistent reminders that growing my business can be done on my terms. I've used her ultimate bundle of legal templates to get my business up and running and has relieved so much stress knowing I'm set up from a legal standpoint. Thanks, Sam. Well, thank you, Jenna. Thanks for leaving that review. And if you leave a review inside Apple Podcasts of my show on your terms, you will be entered to win a $20 Starbucks gift card. All you have to do is leave a review. We pick a new winner every single month, and I read a review here on the show every single week. So you might even get a shout out on a future episode. So with that, let's just get into it. A little life update. You ready? All right. Well, normally I'd say grab your coffee, but whatever you got, Mm. I just have water because I'm woefully behind on water today. Um, And I was like out and about this morning. But here's the deal. So if you listen to episode 43 of my show, I recorded that the day before the like last Friday in April, I recorded the day that my dad came up to New York. So 
like a full rewind is that I'm from Philly, born and raised. I had just moved to New York back at uh, the very like early fall last year. And my dad has had cancer for the last three and a half years. So I didn't want to move. I didn't want to leave because of him being sick. Um, but I also wanted to come here. And my husband, Ryan, had gotten a new job here. And so I made it work. I was going back to Philly all the time. My dad was coming here. We were bringing him here. So we made it work. So my dad was coming up here that last Friday in April. He spent the weekend with us here. He loved it up here. He really loved it. Um, we live on the water. It's really, really peaceful. We have animals everywhere. There's so much to do. There's like a huge emphasis on outside, like outdoor activities. And every single place that you go here, you just see water. It's like ocean and harbors. And it's just, it's so gorgeous. I've never lived anywhere like this. I really, really like where we moved on the North shore of Long Island. It's gorgeous. And we're like all the way out East. It's gorgeous. So my dad came and we just had the nicest weekend. We just like, I mean, we didn't do anything, right? So, and my dad was not in good shape. Um, he had leukemia. My dad wasn't in good shape. And the that trip in particular was pretty hard actually for me because he just like wasn't, he wasn't himself, right? I was seeing such a huge decline. I had just been in Philly the weekend prior to spend the weekend with him. And I had noticed a decline over the like prior two weeks that I had seen him in back in Philly, you know, two weeks before that. So I was watching him decline, but you have to keep in mind, like decline was pretty normal for me at this stage of the game because he's had cancer for three and a half years. He's been through like a cabillion rounds of chemo and blood transfusions and all of this stuff. And I was getting used to him being sick and like him outlasting his diagnosis, his prognosis, uh, really. And I think what's been so weird and, and like, I, I, you know, I won't go into like deep detail, but like my dad, when he was originally diagnosed with leukemia um, in August of 2018, they told us that he had 11 months to live. So I really prepared myself at that time. I took months and months off of the business. I didn't have anybody working for me at the time. So what I'm about to share with you today, I didn't have in place at that time. That's why I learned. But I like took a bunch of time off. And then I kind of got in the groove of things. was like, okay, he has cancer. I'll take him to chemo every like three weeks. I think actually in the beginning it was every six weeks. Now it was three weeks. And um, you know, I would take him to those appointments. It was all day, you guys, all day. So it was like every three or four weeks, I was missing like a week full of work and then I'd be exhausted and then he would feel like crap. So then after that, so then I was like helping to take care of him. So it was really hard, but I got into the groove of it. And eventually we passed the 11 month mark, then the 12 month mark, then 24 months, then 36 months. And it just kept going. And we had lots of little blips along the way where it was like, oh, this is going to be it, right? He got a staph infection during COVID in his chest. It was like, oh, this is it. He had the leukemia spread to his lymph nodes in his chest. I was like, mm, this is it. They said, oh, this is, this is not good when this happens. You know, it's six months. That was a year and a half ago. That was my dad, like in a nutshell, right? He was just like, <laughs> he was just um, an energizer bunny. And it's so funny because... I really, really struggled with my dad having cancer over these last three and a half years. It has made me very depressed. It made me very just like I was just constantly on edge, you know, like waiting to hear that something happened to him. 
Um, I was really like protective and paranoid about him, right? Like I didn't want anybody to be around him if they were sick. Like this is all pre-COVID too. It was a really tough three and a half years, right? And it's just kind of funny because I feel like just recently, maybe this was like the universe's joke on me. I was just like, you know, I was going to therapy every week and stuff. And it was like, okay, this is just going to be it, right? I have to sit with the discomfort of the fact that my dad was given this prognosis that nobody ever lasts this long with AML leukemia at his stage, with his type, with the, you know where it had spread and all this stuff. People don't last this long. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> his oncologist thinks it's hilarious. Like, you know, she was just like, I can't believe it. And like, and she was obviously very happy for him, but she was also just like, this doesn't happen. Right. And I feel like just recently I was just like working towards this acceptance, I guess, the surrender of like, this is just how it is. And so he came that weekend, the last few days, of April 1st day of May, I think. And I could tell that something was off. He physically wasn't doing well. He was like falling, stumbling. He seemed very disoriented um, and he was very tired. He was very, very tired. But all of those things are pretty normal for a guy who's been through like 40 something rounds of chemo and has outlived his diagnosis or his prognosis like three and a half times. You know, like it wasn't that crazy, but I was definitely seeing this decline. And if you go back and listen to episode 43, I said to you, my dad's coming this weekend. He's not doing that great. I'm kind of concerned that he could fall. Um, that's what I've been really worried about. Well, my dad left Sunday evening. He was back home in Philly for like 12 hours. I'm at home working. I was feeling I'm you know, still in New York. I was feeling really heavy all day because just like having seen my dad like that, I mean, for any of you who see a parent, a loved one, anybody who you care about decline, it is freaking heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's awful to watch somebody who was quick on their feet and athletic and strong and capable and never asked for help, like not be able to walk to the bathroom, right? Not be able to take themselves up to bed, right? It's awful. I like can't even. So I was feeling it that day. It was Monday. And I was actually working on a new product that was supposed to come out on June 1st. And I was reviewing copy for that product that was like 60 something pages. And I was, I think on the second to last page, I had been reviewing it for a while that day. And my dad called. And, you know, he called me a million times a day. We spoke a million times a day about everything constantly. And we just had that kind of relationship. And my dad called and I just hit ignore because I was like, I am almost done. I just need to get through this like one more, you know, email or two for the copy and then I will call him back. But as soon as I hit, you know, decline, my phone rang immediately again. And so I was like, oh, shit, (laughs) I better answer because I want to make sure he's okay. And I will never forget the sound of his voice um, when he picked up. He was panicked. He had fallen at his house and he had broken his hip. We obviously didn't know at the time, but he told me that his leg was pointing in the wrong direction. It was like completely bent. And, you know, when you really know somebody, when you really love somebody, just the sound of their voice, you know, can like tell you everything. And I just panicked because I could tell by the sound of his voice that something was terribly wrong. And so 
I hung up with him quickly, called 911, um, got all of that stuff situated, helped them to be able to get into his home because he obviously couldn't move. He was lying on the floor. He couldn't move. By the way, he called me from his Apple Watch. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but he called me from his Apple Watch. So shout out to Apple. Um, that is why I got him that watch because my, actually I got him the watch for fall detection. So it would call me automatically, which is exactly what it did. And then when I hung up, it, he called back uh, like he just hit like call back. So shout out to Apple Watch. I highly recommend getting it for anyone you're concerned about who, especially who lives alone. So he stayed on with me with his Apple Watch and I like helped navigate the EMS people to his home, told them how to get in, all that stuff. Meanwhile, the whole time I'm on the phone with them, I am like throwing shit in a bag. Like just like, I don't, it's so funny because like, I like basically packed all these like pajamas and then like athleisure. I was like, where do I think I'm going? I, it was just, I was panicking. And I thank God I had enough sense to like, I threw my toothbrush in and like all my toiletries, the main toiletries. And, and thank God also I don't need many things. I don't wear makeup and stuff like that. So I just threw all this stuff in the bag as I'm on the phone with them, booked it into my car and drove like a bat out of hell down to Philly. And anybody who knows about driving from Long Island to Philadelphia, meaning that you have to go through New York City and like 17 boroughs, uh, <laughs> it's not an easy feat. And I left at 4.45. My dad called me at 4.34. So I, from 4.34 to 4.45, got ready and left from Long Island, drove through New York City and got down to Philly where he was in the hospital within just a couple of hours. I don't know how. It was like the universe parted. The funny thing is, like, Ryan said to me, oh, you're so lucky that there wasn't bad traffic. I was like, there was bad traffic. I don't even know. I don't even know what I did. I drove in the in the hub lane, which I actually am allowed to do because I have an electric car. And in New York, you can drive in the hub lane even when you, you know, if you're by yourself. But I, I drove, like, faster than I normally would. I'm kind of normally like a grandma and I like to like be calm while I drive. I drove like crazy. I got down there. You know, my poor dad was in pain and like they had given him some stuff and, and whatever. We were in a very tough neighborhood in a hospital. Um, that entire night was very traumatic because there were a lot of people coming in who were victims of gun violence, of drug overdoses. It was like out of strap out of a movie. I stayed with my dad until about 3.42 in the morning in the hospital because it was really scary where he was and I didn't want him to like be by himself. It's like the worst. It's already bad enough being in the hospital. And they hadn't moved him to like a real room yet. They had just admitted him into the ER and they were just waiting to take him into surgery. So basically that was on Monday and that whole week he had the surgery Tuesday morning. It went well, I fixed up his hip. They put a metal rod in his leg and they were like, he's good to go. Like he's got this metal thing in his leg, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, we just want to make sure he can like stand up first before he can leave. And they were telling me he had to go to a rehab facility and like that this is probably where he was going to live, like that we should send him to a place where he could transition to assisted living. And I was just like, you know, it's so funny looking back on it now because I'm like, I was just processing that part and I was like distraught about that, right? I was just like, oh my God, my dad might not walk again and like he's going to have to live in like this assisted living thing. And, you know, my dad wouldn't, he wanted to come up to New York. He was like, try to find me a place up there. And it was just like so much to take in and to deal with and to manage. I ne never left his side, you know, this whole week. But the weirdest thing started happening when he was in the hospital that Monday to essentially like Friday, Saturday, he, his leukemia numbers started going bananas. 
right? Um, for any of you who know stuff about leukemia, it was like his white blood cell count was bouncing all over the place. His lymphocytes were shooting up. His bl uh, blast count was shooting up. His red blood cells were going down. His hemoglobin was going down. Everything was like, boy, this is like all really bad. Like this is what happens when his cancer has flared up in the past or when it's spread. So I get on the horn with his oncology team, his hematology oncology team at Penn. And I'm like, this is what's going on. And they said, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, this happens to people who have cancer, who have a traumatic event. If they get into an accident, if they fall, you know, get injured in some way, sometimes the cancer just bubbles up. They gave me kind of like a benchmark of like, call us if it hits this, because like, that's bad, <laughs> you know? And I was like, it already seems kind of bad. But they were just like, no, this is still within, you know, normal and whatever. I'm not blaming them, by the way. This is all like a very complicated situation. So basically the whole week that he was in the hospital, I just kept noticing he was getting worse. He was physically able to do less every day with physical therapy. He actually did the most on the first day after his surgery. And then every subsequent day from there, he was not able to stand that it became like he couldn't even scoot to the end of the bed. Like it was just getting worse to the to the last day that he was like still up and talking. He said, I don't want PT to come today. And if you knew my dad, I was like, what did you just say? Like my dad doesn't want PT to come. No way. My dad was like super athletic, like really into sports, really prided himself on being like super steady on his feet. You know, like he was so angry at himself that he had fallen and I knew then that there was like, I was like, what is going on? Like, this is just weird, right? And, and I'm assuming this has to do with the fact that your cancer is acting up. But, you know, they're saying, like, don't worry about it. It's going to calm back down. Well, finally, Friday night going into Saturday, um, his numbers did start to creep up. And they were getting awfully close to that, like, oh, shit limit that the hematology oncologist had told me about. I came in on Saturday morning. And every morning when I would come to the hospital and when I would come in, you know, the nurse or the doctor who was there would tell me like what the latest blood results were. And I came in, they took his blood in the morning and that one had skyrocketed way past the oh shit limit. So I freaked the hell out. I freaked. I got on the horn with his hematology oncologist and I told them, you need to do something now, Right. Oh, I'll tell you guys, like everybody needs an advocate. Like, I don't even understand what would have happened to my dad if somebody like us wouldn't have been there for him. You know, like they were ready to send him to a rehab facility. And my sister and I were like, he can't go into a rehab facility. He has cancer and his cancer is spiraling out of control, you know, and like he wasn't even like he was like sleeping all the time. He wasn't moving at all. Like he was all slumped over. It it, it just wasn't good. Right. So. Thank the heavens that I got a hold of the oncologist on call who was like a godsend. And he was just like, I just went in and looked at your dad's chart. He needs to get to Penn immediately. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> like, I can't even tell you how much of a relief because I had been fighting for him all week to get over there. So I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but University of Pennsylvania, Penn, here in Philly, or there in Philly, 
is not only a wonderful institution and an incredible hospital, but it's where my dad has been going for the last three and a half years for his cancer treatment. And I just love them. And I think they're all amazing. And they're like a family to us. And I just wanted him to get there. Like, I just didn't want him to be at this other hospital where like nobody knew him. Nobody knew his case. They weren't taking the cancer part seriously. They wouldn't even let me talk to a hematologist. It was like very, very frustrating. So I just wanted him to get there. So I finally got a hold of this guy on Saturday and he was the on-call hematology oncologist. And he said he needs to get here now. I'm arranging for transport immediately. And it was like, oh, it was just such a relief. So they put everything into action. They got him shuttled over there super fast. My dad got all tucked in at Penn, new gorgeous hospital. If you follow me on Instagram, I shared about his room because at the time, like, I just thought he was going to be there getting cancer treatment. I had no idea that anything was going to happen, Um, but I shared his room was absolutely stunning. Um, And we got him tucked in. I stayed till like midnight, uh, maybe 1230. And he was, you know, kind of delirious. They had given him some stuff just to relax from the transport. And I went back to my hotel and they said, keep your phone on in case anything happens in the middle of the night, but I'm sure it won't, <laughs> which is always when you know that something's going to happen. So at 2.47 a.m. going into Sunday, May 8th, my phone rang and Dr. Tang said, uh, don't worry, everything's OK. And I was like, well, why are you calling me then at 2.47? And he said, uh, I just need your consent to get an emergency plasma transfusion. I was like, uh, uh, sure, uh, yes, but why do you need to do that? And he's like, your dad, I don't know, all this stuff was happening. So I gave my consent because like, what else am I going to (laughs) do? I don't know any better, right? And they give him two plasma transfusions, actually, it turns out. And basically from like the 247 mark from when they called me till about 6 a.m., I just laid in my hotel room in bed um, having what I would call a series of like recurrent panic attacks. It just felt like it was like over and over and over and over again. It was awful. It was awful. I was like shaking. I was having trouble breathing. I was just freaking out because I was like, what the hell is going on? Why is this stuff happening? Why is this cancer doing this? You know, I don't understand what's going on. And I went to Wegmans and I went and bought a whole bunch of food. I bought like protein shakes and hummus packs and all the most random stuff because I was like, if we're going to be in the hospital all week, I want healthy snacks for the week. I get to the hospital at 9 a.m., which is when they allow visitors to come in. And they said, oh, good, you're here. Um, The oncologist wants to speak with you right away. It's like, okay. So I put my little pretzel snacks and hummus and all that stuff in the mini fridge they had in my dad's room. This whole team of people comes in, like six people, and they're like, you know, we need to talk to you about what's going on. It's like, sure. Like, when when are we starting treatment? Are you going to start today? Or like, you guys want to wait a little bit? Or does he need like another blood transfusion first? And they were just like, I'm so sorry. There's nothing that we can do. And it's just like, no, 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 no. I think you're like, I think you're confused. Like, we moved him here so that you guys could do something about this. And they were like, no, he, his blast count is 88%. Like 88% of his blood is cancer. (laughs) And it had been like, I don't remember, I think maybe 40 something percent, which is still horrific. Uh, You're not supposed to have any uh, the night before. So these things were doubling like every couple hours when they were taking his blood. And his white count was like 157 or something. And I was like, 
No, no, no. Like, so, you know, so what you're going to, you're saying you're like going to start the treatment and then like see how it goes. And they were just like, no, we can't, we can't do the treatment. I was like, what do you mean you can't do treatment? Like you can't do chemo for him. And they're like, not if you want to say goodbye to him. And I'm like, goodbye. Where is he going? Like, I was just in, I was so confused. It was so confusing. And I had to make a series of decisions that I would never want you to make for your parent. And I had to make them on my own. You know, I was by myself and I had to do what I thought was best for him and what would keep him comfortable. And that was around nine in the morning when they came in to talk with me. I called everybody I could in a panic so that they could get there as soon as possible. I gave the authorization to give him this medication uh, called hydroxyurea um, that would just give him a couple more hours to let the cancer calm down a little so that people could come say goodbye. And everybody got there like lightning fast. I don't know how. The whole day is a blur. And <laughs> sorry that I'm, well, no, I'm not sorry that I'm upset, but I'm I'm sorry if this is difficult for you to hear. Um, but it's just real life, <laughs> at least my real life. I basically spent the whole day wailing. <laughs> and uh, if you think this is bad, <laughs> this is nothing compared to what, what actually happened. And just like gripping my dad's arm and just sobbing on him. And he was only awake for uh, the first few hours, like not even until lunch, I don't think. Um, and after that, he was out and he didn't speak or, you know, open his eyes again. And so we were all with him for the rest of the day and he passed at 9 p.m. So it was like 12 hours since they told me. So crazy, right? <laughs> maybe it's just me. I don't know. You know, on the one hand, maybe people are like, why are you surprised? Like he had cancer, you know, but I, I don't know. It just, it doesn't matter if you have like a tons of head, a tons of uh, heads up. It's, it's this, it feels like you got hit by a Mack truck, you know? And honestly, it's only been three weeks uh, now that I'm talking with you since this happened. And I still think I haven't totally I don't want to say accepted it, but like, I can only describe it. And those of you who have been through this before might have felt the same. A lot of you have been sharing with me on Instagram that you've like had very similar experiences and thoughts and feelings, but I can only describe it as feeling like he's on vacation and like he's going to give me a call soon. I don't think I fully accept the finality of it, or at least I don't want to. So yeah. That's been my my last three weeks. <laughs> How about yours? <laughs> it's been brutal. I don't know what I thought grief was like. I mean, I think that in a different way, the the few weeks and months after he initially got diagnosed were were just as bad, but like different because um, he was still here. But that added like a different hard element. And I was really busy taking care of him. Um, but I think that this like the sadness, like the immense sadness and the hole that it leaves, um, especially when it's somebody who you like spend a lot of time with, you communicate with a lot. I especially like really kept him involved in our life here. I was always sending him pictures and videos and FaceTiming him. And 
I think if you have a relationship with somebody like that, it the the hole is that much deeper when it's gone. Um, and I've thought a lot about how like the grief hurts so badly because the love was so strong. But that also sucks because you're like, well, the love was so strong and that's why it hurts so bad. And because the love was so strong, I miss him so much. He was really my everything. He was really like my both uh, in terms of parents. He was the whole package for me. And so this is a insanely huge loss for me. I appreciate you listening and letting me share. I am sorry, I guess, for getting emotional, but that's just how I am. And I'm always honest with you. And I have shared this whole time since he's been sick because I didn't know what else to do because I was like, well, if he's going to be sick and I'm his caretaker, like this is such a huge part of my life. Like I was like writing content from chemo rooms for years, you know? So I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you guys being there for the last several years. If you've been around or if you're more recent or if you just like wrote to me recently on Instagram, so many people have been so nice. People send me cards from like all over the world and little gifts and like the sweetest emails and notes and DMs and everything. And I just appreciate every last one of you. Speaking of appreciation, my team really jumped into action. You know, I was really lucky to have such a great team of people, you know, working for me. And whenever people say like, oh, it's so nice that your business is just able to keep running. Yes, it is. And it's definitely that way because I have set it up in a way that allows me to be off or to just have super flexible schedule, not have to work that much. Um, But it's also nowadays able to run that way because of an incredible team. So thank goodness I hired my first full-time employee, Lindsay. Shout out to Lindsay who's been a lifesaver. She, I mean, she's just been a lifesaver overall, but she's also been a lifesaver in this, in this situation and has allowed me to like really take my time and do what I needed to do. And same goes for Margot, my marketing manager, who also like jumped in on all things marketing and fills in the gaps everywhere she needs to and coordinated with my new social media manager, Lauren, um, to pump out really helpful content the whole time without skipping a beat. We didn't miss a podcast episode. Not that there would be anything wrong with that, by the way, but it's kind of cool that like the business can keep running even without me, right? And the content that they created was really like real looking and in real timey, um, even though it wasn't, right? They were sharing things on stories. They were creating reels with video that we've taken like a long time ago. They've created podcast episodes out of audio from elsewhere. Like it's really cool. So Shout out to everybody on my team. Leanne held down everything with um, our customers. She's our customer success manager. You know, everybody on the team was just so immensely helpful. Um, Lydia handles all my tech behind the scenes. Um, Kim handles all of my personal and admin stuff. Um, We have Christina does all my graphic design. It's just like so many people that are working so hard and all this stuff all the time. So I really appreciate it. And my podcast team, obviously, YouTube team with Katie Steckley, like everybody's just been amazing and I really appreciate it. So on that note, then I just wanted to share with you kind of like what's been going on in terms of taking time off from work and then and like what I see kind of in the future. And then I'm going to share some tips with you about what I had in place and what you can put in place in your own business that helped me to do this. Not so that if something this bad happens in your family, um, you can take time off. But obviously, you know, we should be prepared for those kinds of things. Um, 
but also so that if you want to go take a vacation or you just want to like take the summer off or a month off or whatever, you could. So basically, once all of this happened, I took off, you know, I was out as of May 2nd. I was out. That's the day he fell. I thought I'd be out for a week or two as he recovered. Obviously, that turned into then bereavement leave. And I had always said I wanted at least a solid three weeks. Like that was just what sounded good to me. It's kind of funny, like looking back on it, I'm like, I didn't know anything about bereavement. And I don't know why I thought three weeks was enough. Um, (laughs) Now I would probably tell somebody like a month um, at least. But because I don't I honestly don't feel totally ready to be back. I feel ready to do certain things. But at least my biggest symptom so far of this, besides like being beyond sad, is being exhausted, which is probably related to the sadness. But I am just exhausted. I feel like I ran a marathon every day, even if I didn't do anything. So it's hard to have a lot of energy, especially in our line of work where it's like a lot of outward stuff, right? And for any of you who are like working with clients still, then that's really hard too, right? You have to have a certain energy and and awareness to you to do that. So I don't feel ready for that at this moment. I feel ready to do certain things. Like I said, it's only been three weeks since he passed. So I don't know how this will... Well, I know a little bit about how this will impact my business. One thing is that that product that was sent to launch on June 1st will not be, obviously. It's June 2nd right now as I'm recording this. Um, It's not even going to launch when like we had hoped. Like I, I had planned to just push it back a little bit. And I think the biggest thing I've taken away from this experience so far is like, it's time to rest, right? I found myself, like I kept telling my dad that when he was passing, I was just like, you've done so good. You did so good. It's time to rest, right? I feel the same way um, towards myself. I feel like I have worked my ass off to not only build this business, but to protect my dad and to be his advocate for the last three and a half years. And if you have ever been a caregiver or you know someone who's been a caregiver, it is so hard. It's so hard because it's physically demanding, but it's also emotionally and mentally demanding as well. Um, It's very stressful, especially if you handle like the financial aspect, insurance stuff, which I did. It's That's like a lot on top of then like being sad, you know, all this stuff. So I'm just feeling this immense like message coming through into me to rest. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the end, this like push and rest phenomenon, what I've been thinking and feeling about that. Because to me, it doesn't, I I had my time where I was like off, off. Like I didn't do anything. I like went out to eat every day. I walked every day. Like I was like off, off. Um, I feel like it's helpful to start doing a little bit of things, you know, here and there, but really taking my time. And like, this isn't the season for like full ambition, you know, full, full throttle Sam, right? Which, cause like full throttle Sam will like constantly be building a funnel, constantly launching something, constantly improving my product, coming up with a new idea for a product, like doing paid speaker trainings, like doing all this stuff. Right. And that's like my normal, that's my status quo. And I just don't feel that right now. I feel like this has changed me permanently. I have no idea, but like the puppy that I wanted to buy uh, and adopt the the day we left um, Petco or something, I had to go buy Huddy some dog food. And I was like, there was like a puppy left for adoption. I said to Ryan, like, I'm, I'm adopting that puppy. And he's like, we are not adopting any puppies right now. Now is not the time to adopt a puppy. I feel the same way about making any sort of, um, you know, big business or life decisions in general. 
it's just not the time. So I don't know if this will be like my long-term attitude, but I feel like this has changed me. I feel like it's made me just want to slow down um, and appreciate it. And I don't think that actually means much of a difference in terms of business revenue. I have not ever worked like a ton. Like I always have prided myself on not working like lots and lots of hours, but I always am thinking about the business and I wasn't necessarily taking time to relax, which I think is like more of what I'd be looking for moving forward. Okay, so let's talk about what you should have in place so that you can navigate these types of things in your business or like I said, just even take time off, right? If you want to have a smoother business that allows you to have these life blips, right? Things come up. First and foremost, you have to have an emergency SOP, right? A standard operating procedure. I've talked about this a lot before, but you need to have an emergency SOP in place in your business, even if you're the only person in your business. If you don't have anybody that works for you or anything like that, I had this before anybody ever worked for me. I will link to the post below um, that I've done on this. I've done, I think, a reel and an Instagram post on this, so I will give you all of my best tips there. But basically, the reason you need an emergency SOP in place is because I wanted something in writing that lived in Google Docs that was essentially like a, once I push this like detonate button, these are the things that I want to happen in what order, right? Whether it's you're doing them right now, or let's say like you write this now and like hopefully you don't need it, right? Hopefully you don't ever use it. But a year from now, something does happen. And at that time you have a VA, right? then that person will be able to take this SOP. So in my SOP, for example, it was like who I had to notify and then who they had to notify, right? They had to like let other people know, right? So like in your case, it might be like you have to let all your clients know. And then I had, and maybe it's like your VA has to let like your web designer and your your graphic designer know. I don't know, whoever's like maybe doing some things for you or somebody edits your podcast or something like that. So if there's anybody to notify, that was kind of like my step one so that everybody would be aware of what was going on. And then they would all have their own little procedures in place based on my SOP. It'd be like certain things got shut down, certain things got paused, certain people got notified. So that was kind of the first step. The second thing I did was I wrote a email, like right in the SOP, I wrote an email that would go out to all of my clients and it would say like, hey, this is what happened. Um... I, therefore, I'm going to be out of the office. Um, I gave them somebody to contact. Or if you don't have anybody to contact, you just say, I'm out of the office. That's okay, right? Um, if you want to give them like a resource in the meantime or some other thing, like that's great. But I had that pre-written so that it was literally a copy and paste. So now when I wrote this, nobody worked for me. So it would have been me doing it. So at least I would have literally been able to copy and paste that into an email and send it out in like one minute, Right. But now I have a team, and so I the team knew to take this email, send it out. I also wrote a social post that went into my um, community for all of my Ultimate Bundle members. So that was the same thing. Like, that got posted. The graphic for it was already designed. Like, everything was done. And I had the list in there of, like, who to notify, what I wanted you to say, what I wanted them to do with appointments, all of this kind of stuff. And then from there, it was like, who's going to take care of what? So as you build out a team, it was like, who who's going to own certain things? What things on your like docket are going to get paused, right? What things do you want to continue? Like, do you want somebody creating content without you reviewing it? Or is there somebody, if you have a team, is there somebody who could review it for you? 
Do you have like a bank of evergreen content, which I'm going to talk about in a second, that somebody could go to and use and post when you're out? You could put the link there to that, right? Anything that you can do, basically you need to be clear about like, what do you want to keep running? How do you want it to keep running? And who is responsible for it? That's what you need to outline in this emergency SOP. As your business changes, grows, update it. If you get people on the team, update it, you know, assign certain things to people. And as you hire, this is really important, as you hire, make sure that people have to review it as a part of their onboarding, right? So it was a required reading for our team because, you know, I had the benefit of knowing that my dad was sick. And so I would have everybody who came on, I would say to them, hey, look, my dad has cancer. Something could happen any minute. I've created an emergency SOP. You need to review it. And they had to sign off that they read it, right? So everybody was like very well aware. It's like like emergency drills that we used to do in school, right? The other thing is that, you know, something that's helpful to have in place. And like, I know that this is like easier said than done, but is to have multiple revenue sources. I think it's a reason to be motivated to diversify your revenue streams now before something happens so that if like, For example, if you're only reliant right now on private coaching and that's the only way you make money, if something happens, you are essentially just dried up, right? For me, in this past month, we made like almost as much as we normally make in any given month when I'm working full time and I literally didn't show up a second for the whole month, right? And it probably would have been just like normal, except we had this like massive issue with Facebook ads. Um, (laughs) Facebook ads kept getting rejected and then they were like pulling down all these other ads and all that. It's all straightened out now. But like if that hadn't even happened, I bet you things would have been really normal. So basically, it was still a very, very profitable month, even though I didn't do a thing. So it's helpful to have multiple streams of revenue, including a more passive one or a self-service option, right? If you are wondering how to put that kind of evergreen passive system in place in your business to sell something on autopilot, go back and listen to episodes 12, 13, and 14 of On Your Terms because I did a little series for you on how to build an evergreen business. That's what I've done. The third thing that I would have in place if I were you is batching, a batching system, a batching habit. Because essentially, you don't know when something could happen, right? But also, same thing for this vacation situation or some other happier occasion or just like you want to take a month off. Like, I think I just saw Amy Porterfield this week posted she's taking like a five-week sabbatical, right? So like, if you just decide, if you have things batch and you get in the habit of batching, then you will have things already prepared that can be pre-scheduled and planned to be posted without you doing a thing. I didn't see any... Uh, dip in the podcast in in downloads or listens or anything like that from the I mean the episodes are always like batched and, and planned and posted but usually I'm around to help promote them I didn't see any difference <laughs> so maybe you guys don't need me I don't know as long as I record them I think it's fine so I want you to get in the habit now and if you can stay ahead right or you know you want to take a month off you get in the habit of batching and stuff like that and then you will be able to take it without stressing and worrying whether things are still going out. Um, I would do this especially for big pieces of content like YouTube and podcasts um, or blog posts if you do that. And definitely for writing to your email list consistently and making sure you don't go dark if something happens. I think that's super important. Um, I think another tip I'd have for you too is that like in an emergency situation, it's very important to prune 
right? Like, so you don't need to necessarily continue posting exactly the way that you normally do, but it, it would be great if we could continue your cornerstone pieces. So like, if you have a podcast, it'd be good if the podcast episode still went out. If you have a YouTube uh, channel, same thing. If you always email your list, I want you to still have emails going to your list so that they're not, you know, being quiet. So just the big stuff. You don't need to worry about like stories and reels and like like I let reels slide. The team jumped in and and you know created a bunch of evergreen reels, but like we would have been totally fine without it too, right? I think it was more important that we kept like the bigger pieces going. We, we always had an email going out. We always had a podcast episode up. That was really all I cared about. And I have a funnel with a free legal workshop called Five Steps to Legally Protect Your Business that runs all the time and has tons of people coming into it all the time. And so as long as those main pieces are running, I was totally fine pruning and letting the little things fall off to allow the main stuff to grow, right? So keep that in mind. If you are interested in starting a podcast or starting a YouTube channel or you want to explore some of more of this like cornerstone content creation, not relying so much on social media, go back and listen to episode 38. I did an interview with Katie Steckley, who owns Creatorly Media, and she's a podcast and YouTube expert. It's super helpful. The next thing you want to do is keep up with your email list. Hopefully you're already writing to your list consistently. Ideally, you would batch the emails that would go along with whatever those cornerstone pieces of content are, right? So if you have a podcast and you send out an email about it every week, then I just want you to be able to keep up with that. So what was helpful to me was that I batch record my podcast. And then when I record the podcast, I write the emails that go along with them right away. So that not only is the podcast fresh in my mind, but I was always doing that so that if something happened with my dad, these things would have just been able to be scheduled. So even if I had not had a team, it obviously would have been a lot more work on my end, but at least I would have had the content that I could have copy and pasted and like batch plan them, right? In ConvertKit, which is what I use for my emails. If you need some email tips about like building an email list and all that kind of stuff, you can listen to episode 45 of my podcast where I talked about Legally Legit email tips. It's also very helpful to keep a bank of evergreen emails on deck so that you can easily just hit schedule for. So you could like draft emails in ConvertKit and leave them there. And maybe they point people to a piece of content that you've done, like a blog post or a podcast episode or to your website or to your offer or to your Instagram. It doesn't really matter. But if you have a little bank of, you know, let's say if you had three to five, that gives you almost a month's worth of emails that would be in there. And you could just leave them as drafts. And if something happened, you could just go in there, boop, 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 put in the dates, and you'd have a month's worth of one email per week going out to your list, right? That would give you a month off of that. And that alone is like, we kill ourselves going all over the place on social media and all that kind of stuff. If you were just like actually emailing your list with good content and like creating engagement there and asking for a sale and blah, 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 you'd be doing much better than running yourself ragged on social media. So that, that's my opinion. So keep up with that email list. The last thing that you should have in place in order to navigate this kind of thing is a team or to hire hire someone, right? I'm not saying that you should hire somebody now if you're not in a position to so that you plan for some sort of emergency. Like I hope nothing ever comes up. But if you're putting off hiring, I want to tell you to stop it right now right? I wish somebody would have told me that before. I can't tell you how immensely helpful it has been to hire Lindsay, my first full-time hire, knowing that I have somebody there. And you don't even have to hire an employee. Obviously, it took me years and years to, you know, I had a pretty big team of contractors 
that has ebbed and flowed over, like, as I've learned, like, what and who I need and all that kind of stuff. But even just hiring my first VA, Leanne was my first VA. Uh, she's now our customer success manager. But Leanne, like, was just such a huge relief to have somebody else there, somebody else who could have stepped in, somebody who could have contacted all those clients, somebody who could have scheduled those emails for me, right? But having that emergency SOP in place that I talked about earlier is what she would live by, right? When if you like, let's say you just had a VA, that's the document that you would give to your VA to know where those emails were, you know, to have the link to them, to have those emails pre-written, to know who, like what tag to use in ConvertKit to send those emails to those people. All of the stuff, any of the information that somebody needs to get the job done should live in that document. So I'm just here to say, if you've been considering hiring, don't put it off because it'll be immensely helpful for these types of situations and or to getting you removed from the little like day-to-day stuff in your business so that you can focus on the bigger picture stuff. Because I think that has been the biggest benefit to me so far. Last but not least, I want to talk to you about this concept of push and rest. So I talked about this on Instagram the other day on stories and then all these people were like, yes, please do a podcast episode on this. So there are times that we need to push and there are times we need to rest. I don't think this is any sort of like amazingly unique idea that I have here. But I talked about, I sort of talked about this in episode 32 when I asked whether we should always be in growth mode and what some other options were for ambitious people like us, right? And how in our in our industry, in a capitalist society, there's always this emphasis on more, 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 bigger, faster, better, stronger, more money, more revenue, eight kabillion figures in 60 minutes. You know, it's like the figures get higher, the timeline gets shorter, the amount of work gets less. Like it's ridiculous. And it's all being pushed on you to be to like buy more stuff and to spend more money on the very coach that's telling you that. It's the whole thing, which actually is next week's episode all about whether or not you need a business coach. But <laughs> I digress. I I feel like the last month has just been a really good um, lesson in this like push-rest balance. It's a careful balance because sometimes we can confuse like avoidance with rest in business especially, right? And so sometimes what I see are a lot of people putting certain things off because they're like, oh, I'm going to wait or I'm going to wait till this thing is perfect. Or I'm going to wait till I feel better, or wait till I rest and wait till I whatever. Um, and they're going to not show up on camera or not start a podcast until they have a larger audience or not email their list until they have more people. So I think there actually is a place, a time and a place for pushing yourself. Right. And I've thought about that a lot over the last month where I didn't want to do a damn thing. I just want to like lay around. I want to cry. I would love to just like watch Netflix. By the way, watch Senior Year on Netflix if you haven't yet. It's amazing. (laughs) But I didn't really want to do anything. I knew that that wasn't good for me physically, mentally, emotionally. I also knew it wasn't what my dad would want for me because my dad like loved that I was so athletic and he loved like he took a lot of pride in how interested I was in sports and how I could pick up any sport so easily and all this kind of stuff. So there were, there have been a lot of moments over the last three weeks where I've been like, 
no, you need to push yourself to do this. And I don't, I'm not talking about this, like you're exhausted, but you keep pushing through it anyway. I'm talking more about like coming to a crossroads where I have an opportunity to do something, but I can choose to either go out there, be uncomfortable, put myself out there, try something new, you know, in my case, like be social when I don't feel like being social you know, exert myself when I feel like just crying under the covers. I have, I physically sort of have the energy, but it's just like, yeah, it's just like I'm at this crossroads and I can kind of decide, you know what I mean? I know you know what I mean. And I think that like at other times we push so hard that we then force ourselves to have to rest, right? People like me, like what I used to be like, hopefully I won't go back to this, is that I would go so like crazy that then rest was like a requirement because I literally couldn't take it anymore, right? I'm now trying to find some more like, (laughs) since this is a podcast, not a video, you can't see what I'm doing with my hand, which is more of a squiggly like wavelength type situation where you push a bit and then you rest a bit so that you're ready to push if and when you want to, and you're ready to rest if and when you want to, right? So there have been a lot of times over the last month where I have gone and showed up to tennis lessons um, and I didn't want to, not because I was tired, but because I didn't want to try something new. I was like frustrated with being embarrassed over and like not knowing what I was doing and I can't for the life of me figure out how to keep score um, <laughs> or, or pay attention to it you know, I didn't want to be social. I didn't want to have to meet new people and like carry a conversation. I didn't want to do any of that. And sometimes I listened to that, right? I I gave into that and that's okay too. But there were other times where I was like, I know that this is a good thing to push myself to do. Sometimes we need to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. And I have been doing that a lot since my dad passed. It's kind of been a non-negotiable for me that I do one thing per day that I don't want to do. Whether some days it's been eating, some days it's been going for a walk, taking that new tennis lesson, playing in a tennis tournament, having some neighbors over for fresh watermelon margaritas, which I did on Sunday. I didn't feel like doing any of that. Like nothing sounds good to me right now, right? That's just like honestly where I'm at in this grief journey. None of it sounds good. Everything just feels like it has a cloud over it. It's normal. It's okay. I go to therapy. Don't worry. But it sometimes is good to push ourselves outside of that comfort zone, knowing that I also have that opportunity to relax whenever I want to as well, right? We need to listen just as carefully when it's time to be quiet and to rest. And I feel like after the last couple of years, people are tired. And I feel like, I don't know, you tell me if you're feeling this way either for yourself or you're observing this in like a lot of other people. I just feel like there's this like overarching desire to slow down, to quiet down, to be more inwards, to like get off social media more, to start living your life more, right? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. You can send me a DM. Let me know if I'm totally nuts. But I think that's like, that's what I've, that's what I've observed. And I think that it is a careful balance. Like I said, pay attention to when you're choosing rest because you don't want to go outside your comfort zone versus like you truly need to rest. Are you pushing yourself to do some things that are uncomfortable in business too? Because like not everything's going to be comfortable. It might not ever be comfortable for you to show up on camera. It might not ever be comfortable for you to like hit send on an email that goes out to a bunch of people who you don't know and you don't know what kind of response you can get back. And 
I do think that there's a certain like reality in running your own business that you're not going to love every part of what you do. And that's okay. There might be times when you have to push yourself to do things that don't feel super comfortable. Make sure that you're also taking advantage of the rest components of being a online business owner. If you're following some of the tips that I talked about in this episode, like of building out an evergreen business, then you will be able to take advantage of those even more. And I, for one, need to take a dose of my own medicine and take advantage of this business that I've built and the people that I've helped. So I think that's what I'll be doing this summer, but I'll keep you posted. I'd be so curious to hear your thoughts after listening to this. I would love to know what you're walking away from this episode and what your thoughts were. If you've learned anything, if you have any sort of reflections, will you send me a DM on Instagram at Sam Vanderreelen? I would really, really love to hear from you. If you think that a friend of yours would like this episode, could you do me a favor and go ahead and text them this episode right now? Right now. It only takes a sec. I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to On Your Terms. I can't wait to chat with you next week about whether or not you need a business coach. I'll talk to you then. Thanks so much for listening to the On Your Terms podcast. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our podcast episodes, show notes, links, and more at samvanderreelen.com slash podcast. You can learn more about legally protecting your business and take my free legal workshop, Five Steps to Legally Protect and Grow Your Online Business at samvanderreelen.com. And to stay connected and follow along, follow me on Instagram at samvanderreelen and send me a DM to say hi. 